Hello. Hello, everybody. Welcome back to the Secret Language Podcast. It's your second favorite host of the show, Jesse Vaughn. Um, I apologize for being so bad at recording lately. Um, I've got no real excuse. I'm unemployed. Um, <laughs> there's no real reason that I shouldn't be recording episodes of this show. I've had movies that I've wanted to talk about, and then Monday happens, and I don't record, and then Tuesday happens, and I don't record... And then by Wednesday, I think it's maybe too late, and it probably isn't. And, and so I've just not done it a couple times this month, and so I apologize. Um, it is the last Monday of the month, which means that I should be doing a cinephile survey, which, you guessed it, I did not record one of those either. So I figured what I should probably do for this week is let's play catch-up. Let's talk about the movies that I planned to talk about but never ended up actually recording um so i got three movies from three separate weeks and i figured let's just instead of devoting you know a whole show to one episode to, to one movie let's just like we'll just talk about what i've got to say about the three movies that i've got notes on and we'll just wrap it up from there and we'll call it good that way i feel like i'm caught up and you guys know the the things that i've seen and wanted to share and uh we'll we'll call it even Cool? Cool. Um, the first movie that I'd like to talk about is uh, a 1990 film titled Rosencrantz and Guildenstern are Dead. It was written and directed by Tom Stoppard. Um, it's got an average rating on Letterboxd of 3.5 stars out of 5. Um, I can't find a Metacritic score, and I'll get into that in just a second. So I use Rotten Tomatoes. Um, it's got a 61% critic score and an 87% audience, which is pretty good. I'll, you know, that's pretty uh, pretty good scores, I'd say. So the reason I can't find a Metacritic score is because uh, this film was originally a play on Broadway. Uh, 1967, it made its debut, and uh, it, it ran on Broadway for like 420 shows, and it ended up actually winning a Tony in the, the, the following year in uh, 1968 for Best Play, which is like really kind of neat that I'm, I'm watching this movie that won a Tony for Best Play. Um, so the same guy who wrote the play and directed the play got to rework the script into a screenplay and direct the movie. It's the only movie he's ever directed. And, and honestly, I'd say it's pretty great for a movie that... Uh, you know, for a guy who's never directed a movie before. I really enjoyed it. Let's give you a brief synopsis here, because the title is pretty crazy, right? Rosencrantz and Guildenstern are dead. What, what could that possibly be about? Um, uh, two minor characters from the play Hamlet stumble around unaware of their scripted lives and unable to deviate from them. Uh, like I said, it's kind of a concept movie. Um, it's very, very fun, though. Rosencrantz and Guildenstern are basically like the Timon and Pumbaa of Hamlet. You know, that like the Lion King's basically Hamlet. They're basically Timon and Pumbaa. They're the guys that are kind of like helping Hamlet figure out what's wrong. Um, kind of. Not exactly, but kind of. Um, and these two characters, they this, this movie basically says, what if we tell the story from their perspective? Which is like, oh, well, that's just the Lion King one and a half. Uh, yes, but kind of. Instead of making these guys three-dimensional characters from their point of view, we make them still, like, 2D characters. 
Um, the word that comes to mind for me is like object permanence. It's a thing that's talked about in psychology with babies that like there's a certain age when a child realizes that an object that they cannot see still exists. So like a newborn and up to like a couple months old, if you take something and like hide it behind your back, they think that that object's gone forever. Like that's why the game peekaboo is so much fun for them because you cover your face up and they think, oh, he's gone forever. And then you show your face and like, oh, hey, surprise, he's not. Um, that's kind of how these characters work. They have no memories apart from the things that are said to them in the script of the play Hamlet. They, they walk around totally unaware of everything except for the things that happen to them. And so it's them walking around like, what do you, what's the first thing you remember? It's like, I don't know. What's the first thing you remember? And like, they don't even know which character is which. Like, you know, one of the lines that, that is used in the movie is like, I'm Rosencrantz and he's Guildenstern. Or he's Guildenstern and whatever it is. And like, all of a sudden I'm confused. But the characters are always confused on which which one is which. Like, are you Rosencrantz or are you Guildenstern? Like, they, they don't know and none of the characters know. Like, it's it's really funny. I think the movie is completely hilarious. Like, the whole thing is almost, almost all the dialogue is like an Abbott and Costello bit. You know, like, who's on first? Like, if you don't have the subtitles on, you're going to think this movie is whack. Like, it is crazy. You're not going to be able to follow it. You're going to say, what in the world is going on with this movie? But with the subtitles, it it's so funny. Like, it's witty. It The, the dialogue happens so fast. It's crazy entertaining. Like, I think it's super creative. It's super clever. Like, I loved this movie from beginning to end. I thought it was just great. Um, and the interesting thing is the two guys that star in this... Not who you'd think would play this kind of comedic... Like, you wouldn't think they've got, like, super great comedic chops. Uh, it's Gary Oldman and Tim Roth, right? You know? Um, Gary Oldman, who has played a lot of dramatic roles. He's won Oscars. Like, he's he's Gary Oldman, man. Tim Roth has had so much success. He's been in a lot of Quentin Tarantino movies, like... We're talking about some serious actors, and they're walking around being goofy and, you know, acting like Abner Costello. It's so much fun to watch. I absolutely loved this movie. It just, it brought me a lot of joy. Um, I watched a lot on April 1st. It is the 26th. That's how long I've been delaying recording this section of the podcast, talking about this movie. Um, unfortunately, there's no great way for you to watch it. You just have to rent it on Amazon. Um, that's what I did, but I'm telling you, I thought it was worth, you know, the, the three, four bucks you pay to rent a movie on Amazon. Um, it's not for everyone. I'll say that if you don't like Shakespeare, then you're going to not care for just the general feel of it. It's, it's not written in like Shakespeare's English or anything like apart from the things that are actually in the play Hamlet, they just talk like two American dudes. Which is funny because it takes place in Denmark, but still, like the dialogue is not like Shakespearean hard to follow. It's like it's moving so fast you can't hardly hear it hard to follow. But that stuff's like entertaining. It's a different kind of, you know, hard to follow. Um, like this is the kind of movie that I really want to own on DVD just so that like I can watch it whenever I want because I think it's a blast. Like I think it's so much fun. It's so entertaining. Um, it's awesome. 
So that's that's number one. Rosencrantz and Guildenstern are dead. I rated it four and a half stars. I think it is awesome. I think it's creative and funny. And for me, it just ticks all the boxes that I wanted it to tick. Like, it was very nice. Uh, second on my list is a 1998 film directed by Nora Ephron, You've Got Mail. Um, this movie has an average rating on Letterboxd of 3.4 stars. It's got a 57 on Metacritic, uh, and it's available to watch on HBO Max. Um, this is your synopsis. A book superstore magnate, Joe Fox, played by uh, Tom Hanks, and independent bookshop owner, Kathleen Kelly, played by Meg Ryan, fall in love in the an- anonymity of the internet, both blissfully unaware that he's trying to put her out of business. Um, sounds like a pretty uh, contrived plot. I don't know. Like, it's it's a rom-com. Like, I don't know what to tell you, man. The writing is what it is. So, these two people are in love and they met on a chat room and they they email each other all the time like hence the name you've got mail because that's apparently what computers used to say when you had mail back in the day um (laughs) so you got these two people that are in love and one of them like it said like the synopsis reads to you it's he's like the heir of this big you know barnes and noble type bookstore um, I think the movie was kind of taking a dig at Barnes & Noble the whole time, honestly, but whatever. Um, and he's in love with the owner of this small local bookshop. And he, in his like business life, is trying to put this small local bookstore out of business. Unaware that the owner of the bookstore that he's kind of feuding with is the person he's in love with on the internet. Like, oh, yay. Like, it's, it seems really cute, right? It really does. Um, I didn't think it was super great. For one thing, that movie is slow. Like, I checked to see how far into it we were. Like, half an hour in. It's like a two-hour movie. Like, I'm a quarter of the way through this movie, and I'm already thinking, when is this going to be over? Like, it is slow. Um, I think it kind of loses track of the premise somewhere in the middle there, maybe halfway through. Not even. Like... You start off and you're showing these two emailing each other. And then you get into like their personal lives and like the whole business feud thing. You get into that and then it's like the emails stop. It's like you kind of forget your original premise. You forget to go back to like, oh yeah, these two are like emailing each other because they're in love with one another. Like you totally forget that and you just focus on these two like individually and the way that they're trying to run their separate businesses and like it. It loses track of the emailing a little bit because, like, that's what makes it interesting is these two people are in love with each other and, like, totally unaware of who the person actually is. Um, the movie does make an interesting uh, an interesting change. Spoiler alert. Um, I don't really think any of you that listen to this really care about spoilers for this movie. If you do, I guess you can fast forward. I don't know. Um, eventually, Tom Hanks' character comes to know that the woman he's emailing is Kathleen Kelly. It's the, the the owner of the bookstore he's trying to put out of business. All of a sudden, he knows it, but she doesn't. And he starts acting like a jerk still. Like, he walks in to this date he's supposed to show up to, and he's like, oh, hey, fancy seeing you here. Who are you waiting on? And, like, 
being a real jerk for no reason. Like, when at the end of the movie, when these two inevitably fall in love, because it's a rom-com, so, like, naturally, they're going to fall in love, you, you're just like, why? Like, he mistreated you like crazy. And he still puts you out of business. Like, spoiler alert there, too. He, the bookstore does end up going out of business. He gets the girl that he doesn't deserve. The girl loses her job and her business, and they both live happily ever after, except one person just falls in love, the other person falls in love, and gets what they wanted. Like, it's not equal. Like, it's, it's I don't know. It, I thought it was pretty bland, honestly. Like, yeah, I'm not usually one for rom-coms. Like, there are a couple that I have a soft spot for. I'll be totally honest about that. Like, I love the movie About Time. Gorgeous movie. Super creative with its writing. It hits all of its emotional notes very, very well. This one does not. I don't think it really hits its emotional notes at all. I'm not sure there are a lot of emotional notes in this movie. Um, I really like Dan in real life. I think mostly because there's some nostalgia to it that, like, I grew up watching it so much with my family, like, at the holidays. But, like, that one's at least a little more creative, where it's like, oh, hey, you fall in love with this stranger. Turns out this stranger's your brother's girlfriend that's spending, you know, this vacation with you and your family. It's like, that's at least creative. Like, there's something to that. And, like, Steve Carell is a much funnier, more... He's a lot easier to root for than, like, Tom Hanks being the business jerk. Like, I don't know. It's, uh... I thought it was bland. I thought it was kind of boring. I didn't like the writing. It was slow as all. Like, it's as slow as it could be. It just, it didn't do it for me. But this is a movie that Sarah really wanted to watch. And when your wife says, I'd really like to watch this movie, you should probably listen. Because she lets me pick movies a lot. And so I have to let her pick movies too. That is, that is the way that healthy relationships work. And you know what? It wasn't a horrible time, but it wasn't a movie I really cared for. Um, it is interesting. It's got two, like, honestly really enjoyable, like, comedic relief type characters in, like, Steve Zahn and Dave Chappelle. Those two cannot save this movie because they're barely in it. Like, they don't really have the time or space needed to be that comic relief. Um, it is, I, I like seeing, seeing Steve Zahn in a movie. I, I'm a big Steve Zahn guy. So, it was cool to see him. Like, I, I guess that, that was neat. Um, the one thing, though, that I did find most interesting, and probably you know, just the most interesting part of the movie, is how well a movie from 1998 predicts and handles, like, this idea of people meeting online and falling in love. Um, I was only born in 1998, so it's not like I'm super aware of, like, the tech culture. But based on what I see in the movie everyone's like really like oh computers are bad like that's one of the one of the key points of this movie there's this guy who's a writer for like the times or whatever like he writes for a newspaper or a magazine or i don't even know he's a writer and he's like obsessed with his typewriter and it's like ah oh, computers are ruining everything and it's like that's like the general consensus of the characters so i'm, I'm guessing that's kind of like the societal read is that the people that spend a lot of time on like chat rooms and emailing each other they're kind of on the fringe right now like it's not part of the the cultural zeitgeist if you will like so you 
I think it's really interesting. They kind of take this semi-niche idea of like, oh, people met online and they've fallen in love. The fact that that idea, you know, this this movie takes place and was written in 1998, that like 24 years later, the idea, like it doesn't seem dated at all. Like a lot of things that revolve around technology that are that old, movies or ideas or whatever, do not age well. This movie surprisingly does. Like that is something that happened in 1998 and it happens today. Like it's it's very common. It's pretty well accepted. It like I was really surprised. Like that is something that's totally wild. You know, this movie makes this bold prediction of this societal thing that happens and it like doesn't fall flat on its face. That was kind of cool. I thought it was really interesting how how it just handled that as like a as a thing that happens to human beings. So that was kind of cool. Um, like I said, wasn't nuts about the movie. I rated it like two stars. I, I didn't care for it. Um, sorry if you really liked that movie, but it didn't do anything for me. Uh, finally, that was, let's see, hold on. When did I watch that? We watched You've Got Mail on the 17th. So that was the episode I should have put out last week, but I did not. Um, the episode that I probably would have put out this week revolves around the 2002 film directed by John Lee Hancock, The Rookie. Um, this movie has an average rating on Letterboxd of 3.1 stars, which is the lowest out of all of the movies I've talked about so far. The lowest average Letterbox score. But it's got the highest Metacritic score at 72, which is like surprisingly good. Um, this movie is available to watch on Disney+. Plus. Um... We owned this movie growing up on DVD, and I'm telling you, I probably have seen that movie like 80 times. I've seen it so many times, but this was my first time watching it as an adult, which, like, is not a huge deal. All that really means is that I remembered all of the scenes, like, I remember everything that, like, happens visually, but this time, I paid attention to the words, you know, like, that's pretty much it. But it's, it's always a neat experience, you know, watching a movie that you saw so many times growing up and then all of a sudden you watch it as an adult and like, oh, you pick up, you know, the greater things, the, the greater connotations and the dialogue and all this stuff seems all of a sudden more interesting. Um, let's give you a synopsis right quick. Uh, a Texas baseball coach makes the major league after agreeing to try out if his high school team made the playoffs. Um, sounds like your normal, average, you know, supposed to be inspiring sports movie. Um, that was a lot of, like, the letterbox reviews that I read talked about how it's like, oh, this is so uninspiring, wow, this is like basic Disney movie stuff. And it's like, I, I don't know if the people stayed and actually watched the whole movie, because it's based on a true story. Jim Morris was a real dude a real high school baseball coach from Texas who really led his team to the playoffs, who really went to an open tryout and, and made his way to the major league. Like it actually happened. It's a real story. Now I get that. There are a lot of movies that are like that, that are based on true stories that if they weren't based on true stories, you would just say, this is just a bad screenplay. Um, another movie I watched like that, like last week was called, the fisherman's friends it's about a, a, a guy who works for a record label that signs a bunch of fishermen from cornwall to a record deal because they sing sh sea shanties for fun like 
it sounds like the worst movie you've ever heard if you didn't realize that it was a true story. Uh, the Rookie is a true story. It's it's a baseball movie. Stars Dennis Quaid. Like, I don't know. I really loved it growing up for some reason. Like, it's just a fun movie. I was, I was always into sports as a kid, so this movie, you know, checked the obvious box, which is, is it about sports? Yes. Cool. Um, it's a G-rated movie, which, you know, watching it, I'm not... I'm not sure it's completely G. I guess there there is like someone saying hell or something, but I mean, it's totally clean. Like it's it's a good time. It's just a good time. Um, it, like I said, it was really nostalgic because like I remember everything that happens, but like getting to listen to the actual dialogue and picking up on more of the stuff that like an adult would catch on to was made made it a lot more enjoyable to watch. Um, the one funny thing, I was watching this movie, you know, I'm sitting on my couch with my whole family, I watched this with my parents, I was home for the weekend, and I was watching this, and I'm like, my goodness, the music in this movie sounds like the music in A Knight's Tale, which is like a totally weird thing to say. Um, apart from The Rookie, A Knight's Tale is the other live-action movie that we watched the most growing up as kids. Like, those are my two most, like, nostalgic live-action movies that I ever watched growing up. Like, those two are the ones that really stand out. And I was thinking, like, what a weird thing to think that, like, why do I think that the music sounds the same? Like, I I can't get it out of my head. Like, they do sound the same. I don't know know why. Like, what a weird thing. And so just on a whim, I I popped on IMDb and just decided to look at who composed um, The Rookie. And I was like, okay, what else has this guy done? Turns out he also wrote the music for A Knight's Tale. So, pretty proud of myself, on one hand, for, for recognizing, oh hey, this sounds the same as the music in this other movie, and turns out it's the same guy, and it's a pretty obscure guy, it's not like Hans Zimmer, where you can just like, oh, that sounds like Hans Zimmer. It's like, okay, congrats, like, just about anyone can guess that. This one was a little obscure, and it's two movies that I'd seen hundreds of times combined. I was pretty proud of myself. But, like, for real, what are the odds that me and my brothers fell in love with these two movies and they just happen to have the same composer? Like, when you're a kid, you do not care about that kind of stuff. But it's it, I just found it really funny. Like, what are the odds? Like, that is so weird. Like, Jeremy Jones, if you're listening to this, like, I want you to pick two of your favorite movies. What Like, what are the odds that the same guy composed your two favorite movies? Like totally weird totally weird but uh i had a pretty good time watching this i gave it three stars i gave it a like on letterboxd i thought that this was just as much fun to watch as an adult as it was as a kid and like that is a really great experience if you can enjoy a movie as a kid and also as an adult bada bing bada boom so uh those are my three movies that i was meaning to talk to and that i finally just decided dude just get up and record a podcast just get up and do it like you can make it. You're you're an adult. Um, so those are my three movies. Go check those out if you want. Like, you know, form your own opinions. I'd love to hear what you have to say about any of these movies. Um, let's see. Uh, a week from yesterday, a week from Monday, May second, I start my new job, and let me tell you, I'm very excited about it. I'm I, I'm very excited to not be unemployed anymore. Uh, 
overwhelming force for good. I'm excited. Just it'll be good to get back into a routine and to be working. I'm excited about the new job. I'm excited about the opportunity and the business and it'll just be good. I'm very excited for that. Um, that's the that's the one big thing going forward for me. That's the next big thing on my horizon. Um, in Watford news, things are not good. Things are not good. Uh, we got five games left of the season. We've lost our last at least two games. Two weeks ago, we played Brentford on the road, a, a game that is one of our winnable games left in the season, and uh, we lost it 2-1. to one. We conceded the losing goal in the 95th minute, which is like the most Watford thing imaginable. Um, so that one kind of hurt. And then, of course, this past weekend, they had to go play Manchester City on the road. And it's like, oh, brother, we lost 5-1. to one. It's like, yeah, what are you going to do? They're the best team in the league. We are one of the worst teams in the league. Like, you just hope it's not too bad. A couple years ago, they beat Watford 8-0. 5-1s, you know, that's uh, an opportunity... It's it's an improvement. It's a slight improvement. Um, there are only five games left. One of them is absolutely not winnable. The other ones are maybe barely winnable. So um, they're going down. They're getting relegated. There's just no way around it, really. Like there are five games left. We are like six points back from safety. Like it's possible mathematically. Like if we win all of our games and a couple other teams don't win the rest of theirs then like yeah it's possible we stay up but it's just it's super unlikely so i guess i'll be canceling my subscription to peacock because i won't be needing to watch premier league anymore um it's kind of sad but you know i chose to root for this small club why unsure totally unclear um actually i do know why it's because i played as them FIFA against my roommate and I started winning in FIFA and so I thought I'm going to keep playing for these I'm going to keep playing as this team and then it turns out I was like you know what I'm going to be a fan of this team and uh what a decision that's been I ended up buying a jersey because they're on sale at the end of the season which is it was supposed to be delivered today did not get delivered today but uh I've got a Watford jersey in the mail very excited about it let me tell you very excited but uh I don't know. That's about it. Like that's that's the Watford news. That's the movies that I watched, that I have watched, that I wanted to talk about. Um, yeah, I hope you guys are having a good week. I hope you continue to have a good week. I think I'm going to try to get something recorded so that I can post the Cinephile survey on Monday. We do get an extra Monday in the month of May, so I figured I can probably be a week late and get away with it. So that's my plan. Thank you guys so much for listening. It really does mean a lot to me. Um, watch any one of these three movies and like shoot me a text. Get you know, hit me up on Instagram or something. I would love to hear your opinions on these movies. I, I would really like to see more of my friends on Letterboxd. You can find me on there at j underscore arthur twenty. Um, I'm always posting all the movies that I watch and, and giving a little review on those. So like, if you want to see what I think about movies, check it out. Like it's, that's the place to go. Um, if you like this show, share it with someone you like. If you hate the show, share it with someone you hate. And, uh, until next week.